Our Three Cents is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information, please go to greenlitpodcasts.com. Hello and welcome to Season 3 of Our Three Cents, a podcast celebrating the very finest video games. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I'm joined once again by two superb gentlemen in the form of my childhood friend, Chris Dow. We're bloody back! And my adulthood friend, Minty Booth. I feel bad for his wife. (laughs) (laughs) Announcement! Announcement! Before we dive into this bumper special episode reflecting on the year that was, we just wanted to point you in the direction of our various social media channels and other such things. We love engaging with you lovely listeners, so please feel free to get in touch with us on the following. Facebook.com slash Our3Cents for all the latest chat and chat. <laughs> Instagram.com slash O3C podcast for all the latest pics and sticks. YouTube.com search Our3Cents for all the latest vids and lids. <laughs> Twitch.com slash O3C podcast for the latest streams and dreams. And new for 2021, we are also now on the cultural phenomenon that is TikTok. What is TikTok? I don't know. Is it what all the kids love? Yes. Do we know how to use it? No. Are we on there? Yes. Where are we on there? At O3C Podcast. Help us out by engaging with us on there and letting us know what to do with it. (laughs) And if you fancy supporting the podcast a little bit more than you already are by simply listening to it and potentially sharing it on your social media channels, then you can head over to patreon.com slash our3cents to see what lovely prickly perks we have on offer for some monetary subscribement. And do you know what? I'll tell you what they are to save you the effort of having to read and process any pesky textual context that you may <laughs> find upon heading to that website. Perks include amazing bonus episodes, deleted scenes and outtakes, access to the exclusive Hour Three Cents Discord channel, custom artwork, loads more. Thorough. <laughs> so here we are. This is the launch of season three of Hour Three Cents, which is quite remarkable as we enter our top tens, our individual tenth to firth favourite video games of all time. Are we starting that today? No. Of course not. What we wanted to do to settle our and yourselves into the upcoming extravaganza was reflect on the year that was. 2020. It was a blinder. (laughs) The weird thing is, seeing so many people being like, fuck off 2020, God, get dicked, mate. It was genuinely the best year of my life. Like, I celebrated the first year of marriage, went on my honeymoon, had a daughter. I relished in the opportunity various lockdowns gave me to increase my already burgeoningly unhealthy gaming activity. I I had a great time. But before we dive headfirst into some thoughts on the games of the year that was, I just wanted to start by thanking my two fellow sense for flying the flag in my absence at the tail end of 2020 when I took some paternity leave and you guys took on the mantle of producing a series of special bonus episodes to tide us all over until I returned. You did a fantastic job and provided me with four excellent listens as I staved off (laughs) sleep-deprived delusions and an avalanche of dirty nappies. So thank you very, very much indeed. And thank you also for allowing me to come back after the extraordinary Jonatron threatened to supersede me. by providing all of the deep, insightful gaming chat that I provided, but without the flagrantly destructive ego. <laughs> John, John, he was, a, he was a, a big hit, but we've put him in the cupboard for now. Me and Minty have said that he, he can come back out 
if or when you have a second child. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. It was just a cushion with a bucket on its head. <laughs> <laughs> it was. <laughs> so how about we kick off this episode with the more recent gaming activity of 2020. In fact, the, the last week of gaming activity in 2020 and our last week of gaming activity in life. Chris, what did you see 2020 off with in terms of your games gaming? I played lots of odds and sods. And for the last few years, I've kept a log of every game I've beaten. Mm. So in in 2018, when I started this, it originally was to help me spend more time actually playing games and less time just obsessing over the collection part of the hobby. (laughs) To be honest, it didn't help me spend less money, but it did make me stick with a lot of games I might have otherwise kind of poo-pooed after 20 minutes or so. So this year, just before New Year's, I was at almost 100 games beaten for for the calendar year, which is 20 games more than the previous year as a result, likely, because we had several months in lockdown where I didn't see anyone. And on on the 30th of December, my brother casually mentioned, wouldn't you feel proud if you beat 104 games this year? Because that would be like two a week. And I was like, oh, that would be good, wouldn't it? On the 30th. (laughs) So... In the last week, I have beaten the following games. Like most of them, they're not very long. They're not very good. They don't really dignify much of a description, um, but I'll at least tell you what they were. So my hundredth game of the year to, to hit the original target was Shrek Hassle at the Castle, which was a, a Game Boy Advance retelling of the first film. Blimey. Basically, originally I did it because I, I thought it would be a funny sort of meme for my own list to say that my hundredth <laughs> game was a, a Shrek title, but it yep. was pretty pretty bad, but... I beat it. So that was that. Then once Tom gave me the push to try and hit 104, the 101st game was called MacBat 64 on the Switch, (laughs) which is a throwback to sort of Banjo-Kazooie style platforming. Sure. It really nails the aesthetic more than just about any other game I've seen try to do that. But it just wasn't that fun to actually play. (laughs) Like it it looked great. It sounded the part, but it it was pretty naff, to be honest. But, you know, Mm. it was something. The 102nd game, was called Task Force Campus, and it was a vertical shoot 'em up on the Vita that was totally serviceable, and that's it, really. <laughs> Can't say too much more about that. 103 was a game called Water Margin, which I might have mentioned before. It's a, it's a weird side-scrolling beat-em up on the Evercade. Right. So remembering back when I got the Evercade earlier in the year, the handheld recently got a firmware update, and it fixed a few of the most kind of annoying niggles from when it launched. So they sorted out some of the sound emulation that was a bit spotty here and there. It let you customize your controls. It gave you better save state management. Like lots of stuff that probably should have been there at the beginning. But, you know, I appreciate with not a massive team, it probably takes a bit of time to sort these things out. And Water Margin was a game I'd played a decent amount of back in April. It's just like a, a side-scrolling beat-em-up, like I said, kind of Streets of Rage style. It's got three playable characters. I'd already beaten it with two of them. So I thought, well, if I do the third one, I can, I can call that a finish. So that was 103. And finally, 104, and I did do it, so that's two two a week this year, was probably the best of the bunch out of these lot. Better than Shrek Hassle at the castle. <laughs> Mildly better, just a, a touch. <laughs> it was a, a strange first-person narrative game on Steam that I've wanted to play for quite a few years and just kept forgetting that it existed. Yeah, A game called 30 Flights of Loving, and it has a mini prequel called Gravity Bone as well. They're just little <laughs> little tiny stories that, you know, tell their tale quite briskly, quite quickly. But they utilise a lot of really filmic things like jump cuts in in a way that I haven't really seen in games before. And I remember talking to you, Jonathan, about the narrative game Virginia and you saying it did something similar. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. 
30 flights predates that by years and and it's really clever just to see it kind of taken out of, of films and put into something very different so yeah not a bad end to a, a pretty shocking run of games to be honest to finish but there we go <laughs> a grab bag end to, to 2020 <laughs> fantastic how about you minty what uh, what did you get up to in your last week of gaming in 2020 well in stark contrast to chris uh, looking over the games that i've completed this year i've beaten two games this year oh uh, neither of which, neither of which I've, I've I've played this week. I tell you what I'm doing. I am back on uh, the Pokemon train, and I have only just bought a subscription for Pokemon Home. Ah, okay, yeah. Which, as we all know, is the uh, is the new Pokemon Bank, which has smart device capability. It can link to all of your games. It's a central hub for for your for your burgeoning collection. <laughs> so. After completing the Pokedex on Pokemon Shield earlier uh, last week, I am now trying to get a full living dex on Pokemon Home. I'm not doing too badly. I think I'm up to about maybe 750 out of 898. It took me an enormously long time to to uh, to amass my sort of collection, which isn't isn't complete now as of the recent DLC in Sword, mm. so, which I need to do. Yeah, I was I was. Um, quite impressed at how many Pokemon I've actually got over the years, not including anything from before maybe Pokemon Sun, no, X and Y, I Mm. think was the last time I used Pokemon Bank. But I've got 1,004 Pokemon here, which I'm just ruthlessly uh, wonder trading to try and get some of the uh, the more obscure blank spaces filled up. Mm. No, it's good fun. I'm I'm shiny hunting for a, a shiny Drapion in the game as well oh nice i think now that i've got now that i've completed the pokedex and i've beaten the game with sort of the pokemon that uh, that you are obliged to beat the game with your starter <laughs> yeah. the legendary that sort of thing i'm now going back and building up a big team of all my favorites all my favorites excellent so that i can uh, when, when you open up the game and it has that lovely sort of uh, pan of you and your 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 tournament winning team mm. it'll be all the ones that i love so much instead of just ah oh, it is the the monkey that plays the drums it's, <laughs> the, it's it's the big dragon that can end the world well no i don't want that i want the other dragon that can end the world that isn't actually part of the game i like a bit better so what is your what is your team of your ultimate team of favorites well so far i've got nido king Mm-hmm. I've got Cradley. Oh, you love a Cradley. Which I think I've I've gone on record as saying that, that is my all-time favourite Pokemon. Yep. I've also got a Drapion. I don't know what the other three are going to be. Excellent. <laughs> I can't I can't wait to hear. Can't wait to hear. Stay tuned to to hear what the other three are going to be. I'm sure they'll be great. Awesome. I look forward to finding out. So as for myself, you know how often we say well, I've played a little of a lot. Well, I've played a lot of a lot. i'm gonna save a lot of thoughts on the recent sort of spell of the huge amounts of indie games i've played which include dicey dungeons behold the kickmen child of light sayonara wild hearts book of demon and super meat boy forever i'm gonna save my thoughts on those for for, for next week boy you're in for a treat on 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 those thoughts (laughs) but for this week i I wanted just to focus on something that was a bit more well it aligned a bit better with the with the theme in terms of uh, reflecting on 2020 and and the games of, of the year so Inevitably, my relationship with gaming is is changing now that that I've become befathered, and yeah, we'll see how you know that that progresses and where that goes. But in the short term, it it, it turns out I had well, I've had a lot more free time than I thought I would. 
it came in the form of a strange new routine but i had several spells of, of you know a couple of hours at a time after we'd fed nora and then she would fall asleep again but but she was sleeping on me because she hasn't really liked sleeping in a bed up, up until like the last week or so so i kind of needed to stay awake and found nice pockets of time to to entertain myself as I sort of stayed awake between the hours of midnight and 7am until I would then hand her over to, to my wife and I would get some sleep. So not only did this mean that I could crowbar in a surprising amount of gaming, but the other activities included being able to give myself a, a bit of a pamper by applying a chemical foot peel at the start of December, uh, that saw me trail dead skin dust in my wake for an entire month around the house. <laughs> a, uh, a, a decision my wife described as the worst thing you've ever done. Oh. <laughs> uh, and I was also heard to proclaim at one point during mid-malt, I wish I had hooves. <laughs> but in between, I did get to play uh, quite a few games that I didn't think I'd ever have the time to do so. As Jonatron has kept you fully abreast of, these have included a replay of Dark Souls Remastered, Dark Souls 2, Scholar of the First Sin, Persona 5 Royal, and God of War, all absolutely outstanding games that would definitely be in my top 50, at least. Wow. And in this last week, I've been able to put some more decent time into some full-fat console games, chiefly, and like I said, relevantly to this episode... I managed to play through the, the highly celebrated and widely lauded game of the year from many establishments, which was Naughty Dog's Last of Us Part 2. Now, I had started playing it a few weeks back, sh shortly after it had first come out, and my interest sort of fizzled out a bit, I think, when Tony Hawk's came out. It's a better game. But I found my way back to it after having recently played through Naughty Dog's other celebrated PS4 release, which was Uncharted 4 which, again, I'd started playing a while back and then had put down, but I was thrilled to get back to it because it was a, I mean, it was a rollicking adventure and I had a thoroughly good time playing it. I mean, it is a modern Naughty Dog game, so there are elements of the type of gameplay that irked me slightly in The Last of Us, but Uncharted 4 gives you so much more freedom of control over your character, so it's, it's a lot more fun to play in the sort of immediate sense. And the story is really great, as is the writing and the performances. And yeah, I, I really wanted to, to keep seeing what was next on the treasure hunt and where you were going next all the way through the game until I finished it. And even though I hadn't played the first three Uncharted games, the fourth one does a brilliant job in sort of paying homage to those and, and letting you sort of feel the weight of all of the adventures Nathan Drake has been on before. So I still felt, you know, really moved by the ending of the game and the conclusion to his story. Brilliant, brilliant game. Well, my personal favourite thing in the game that kept me laughing all the way through the long nights. So for most of the game, you're, you're accompanied by, by somebody else, usually his, his brother, sometimes his wife. And if you like misjudge a jump or, or, or throw of your grapple hook, you'll, you'll plummet to your death, you know, restart, try again, as you would expect in any video game. But in this game, every time you do that, you get the most genuine reaction from whoever's with you every single time. <laughs> and so usually what would just be like, a, oh, die, try again. You just get, oh, God, God Nathan, no. Oh, Jesus, Fenton, Jesus Christ. And then, <laughs> and the game just turns incredibly dark for a few seconds before everything's fine again. And that, that entertained me every time. And yeah, playing through Uncharted 4 did kind of gear me up for revisiting The Last of Us part two which i i dive back into and it's okay <laughs> yeah. uh, i don't i don't want to be the guy who poo-poos on you know popular games 
I feel like I did a good job of, of articulating my frustrations with, with the first game in terms of its uh, its restrictive nature, which, to be fair, is a lot less clunky in, in this game. And I sort of questioned why the first game, why the story needed to be told as a video game, because it sort of sacrifices a lot of things that the medium of video games offers a story in terms of interactivity and, and all of that stuff. It sacrifices a lot of those things in order to to tell it and to make it more cinematic. And that, you know, yeah, that, that irked me. And basically everything in The Last of Us Part 2 does everything that The Last of Us did, but more. And that means that the stuff that was that I liked is a lot better. The stuff that I didn't like, for me, is a lot worse. It's especially in the way that it, it deals with the story. One of the things that I think it was you, Chris, you'd seen somebody say online is it forces you to kill someone then forces you to feel sad about <laughs> yeah, it yeah. and that is an even bigger issue here like it gives you the illusion of narrative interactivity without giving you any consequential impact like the first one but it feels even more so like I, I don't think anyone will say that the best thing about the first last of us game or this one is the gameplay like in the first game we, we know that the gameplay is is fine it's perfectly serviceable in order to tell a really really good story but I think the story in the second one is where this game falls down because I don't really see anything in the story that warranted being told, which is, you know, it's a problem with a lot of sequels. <laughs> I don't really see the point in the game existing. Well, I mean, I, I don't. It's like it's like when you see a sequel come out and you'll just dredge stuff up because you know a sequel will sell. Yeah. Like the way the first game ended left a real like moral ambiguity over Joel's actions and, and that was a great thing to be left with to to contemplate and to wonder what you know the repercussions of that would be and in being shown how those choices play out in this game it removes a lot of the satisfaction of that ending because like you, you know you don't get to question those issues for yourself you just see someone else dealing with them i mean naughty dog said themselves that whereas the first game was uh, about love this game is about hate and yeah it really shows the ugly side of everyone involved and it makes the characters from the first game like ellie more unlikable and less relatable and ultimately made me care less about them which is obviously not the intention of developing characters further in a sequel and like i understand that these are different facets of characters that are present in real people as well and you know everyone has the propensity for real darkness in them but like if you saw that in somebody in real life, it, it doesn't mean that you have to like them just the same, you know, when they let you down. <laughs> and as an extension of the story, if if this was to be told, I don't think in a video game is the best place for it, especially because there's the TV show in development. Like save it for that. Like I think it would work much, much better because like the first game, the game willfully ignores so many aspects of what video games can do in order to tell it. And there'll be scripted moments in the action that, that totally piss all over how you play the game. Like, as an example, you'd spend a good chunk of time very stealthily clearing this whole area of enemies, picking them off one by one, keeping your cover. And then as you exit the area, there's a cinematic where you get caught and captured by them anyway. It just, it, it makes me care so much less about my actions because I know they don't have any meaningful consequence over the story. Yeah, yeah. And the game does this for me an incredibly infuriating thing at the halfway point in the game that i'm sure they thought was very very clever and i know a lot of people have said oh that's brilliant how they've done that 
So for the first half of the game, you, you play as Ellie, who was the girl in the first one, uh, but, you know, sort of several years on, and you're on a revenge mission chasing after this woman called Abby. And then when you finally catch up with her, you then go all the way back to the start of events again, but you play through them as Abby. And you play through the same, like, three days, but from her perspective. And this killed any momentum that I had going. It meant that all of the upgrades to my skills, all of the upgrades to my weapons, they were all out the window that I'd, I'd worked for, you know, 10, 11 hours doing. You had to learn a bunch of slightly new mechanics and, and nothing, you know, she didn't control quite as I was used to from playing as Ellie for, like I said, 10 or 11 hours. Like, I understand what they're doing from a narrative point, showing you both sides of the story. But it really feels like the type of content that would have served best as a piece of DLC. That would have been quite fun to be like, oh, here's a bit of DLC, Abby's story. Oh, that's really interesting to see what it was like actually from her point of view. I thought to myself, I thought, okay, this this could actually, this could be a really, really good thing. And I was hoping that what they were gearing you up for is for you to make a moral choice between who you sided with, which would sort of justify forcing you to see everything from the antagonist's point of view and sympathising, you know, with, or, you know, or trying to sympathise with her. If at the point when it brings the two stories back together again, you then have the choice to go, actually, now that I've seen things from this person's point of view, maybe actually I think that I, I think they're in the right. That would have been really, really good. But it doesn't let you do that at all, which makes the whole conceit of that feel totally redundant and, to be honest, quite emotionally manipulative because the game can set you up to feel really sad about something by showing it to you from these two different views and deliberately making it something that's going to be totally different and skew your perspective on something totally differently when you see it from the other side. Like, for an example, there's a bit where you're playing as Ellie and, and quite often you, you'll come across you know enemies like uh, human enemies, uh, people patrolling. Some of them have dogs. Obviously, you'll need to kill the dogs in the same way that you'll dispatch all the other enemies. And, you know, you don't think much of it. There's an encounter later on then when you break into a building and you there's a, a dog just attacks you. You have to kill it. You, you have to kill it. Like, you don't have a choice. You have to kill the dog. And then when you play in the game from Abby's perspective, you realise that this dog is a, is, a, is, is a particular, is a specific dog to uh, one, of, one of the characters on, on her side of the story. And there are sections of it where it forces you to bond with the dog like it forces you to play fetch with it for several minutes <laughs> oh dear, dear, dear. Like, like, and then you come across it later on Ugh. after you've killed it from earlier and it's just a really cheap blow and like i don't know why the game is, is trying to make you care so much about someone on the other side of the story or, or some dog <laughs> on the other side of the story but then it still has you go through the game mindlessly killing all of the other people and all of the other dogs without any sort of emotional or, or moral consequence at all like i said it's it's not giving you a choice to feel bad about something and there are times when i thought i don't want to fight this person but you had to fight this person and it, like i said it's you kind of you have to then emotionally detach yourself because you go well i don't agree with what this person's doing which i'm in control of but i have to if i want to play the next <laughs> the rest of the game i have to do this and something another thing the game does to try and sort of bring a bit more weight to your actions is that all of the enemies in the game the human ones anyway they all have a specific given name programmed in and if another enemy sees them getting killed or finds their body instead of just being like oh god alarm there's somebody here they'll be like Oh Sharon, <laughs> or like oh God, Pete, and it just <laughs> and it just it felt really crowbarred once you realise like what they're trying to do, and then 
yeah, it just becomes amusing, like hearing whatever name they're going to come out with next. I mean, it's obviously not a million miles away from the setup that Naughty Dog have done with Uncharted, which is, again, a game that's fairly restrictive and linear in the same way. But I think for me, because it's a lot more carefree and fun, I don't mind that the decisions are taken out of my hands because it's just a great adventure to get swept up in. And the gameplay, to be fair, is a lot more fun and free in between the story beats as well. And I feel that, like, when you're presenting such intense moral dilemmas as you are in The Last of Us, you need to be allowed to have more input as the player. Otherwise, what's the point in it being an interactive medium? Like, I've said before about how I really don't think that trying to aspire to be as most like a film should be the bar with video games. And, and this game is the biggest culprit of that so far, I think. It desperately wants to be a movie from hopping about in the narrative structure with flashbacks and stuff to, to all these scripted moments that you have no control over. And a, a lot of these moments are crowbarred into mask loading times, <laughs> which is something that I think you enlightened me to yeah. Chris, when I mentioned yeah. it uh, in something else. And it happens so much in the game. Like, it seems that most rooms you go in have something big blocking the door that you need to spend a minute hammering the square button to shift so the game can load the next room or, or you know, have your companions deliberately get in your way to slow you down when you're making your way through an area. I mean, possibly it's me being quite cynical, but there's there's a story <laughs> there's a story point that sees you have to amputate the arm of one of your one of your companions, and I feel the whole reason for doing this is so that she can then move even more slowly in front of you, following that all to mass loading times. <laughs> I, can, I can imagine the developers going, "Oh, uh, uh, hang on a minute! Like we've got this massive bridge area that's coming. We need to uh, we need we need to make the player take longer climbing this ladder, so we can you know so we've got time to load it. It's like, mm, can we make the ladder longer? No, that will just make the problem worse." Can we have a companion go in front, you know, to sort of slow it down? We tried that, but they move too fast. Can we take one of their arms off to make them go slower? Nailed it. Brilliant. Let's go with that. And I, I know it's a really common thing in a lot of high-end games, you know, from this and Uncharted to, to God of War as well. And hopefully it's something we'll, we'll see eradicated with, you know, next gen's zero loading time situation. But the trouble is, once you're aware of why the game is putting these moments in, it, it totally negates any of the the tension or that it's masquerading as building or any of the kind of emotional resonance you feel that it's trying to make you sort of have to sort of have a moment of stillness to reflect. Once you know what it's doing, it's, yeah, like I said, it's difficult to sort of see it as anything other than that. But it's not all negative. I mean, there's there are a lot of things to enjoy, you know, in terms of the gameplay elements. And I mean, you, you know, the sacrifice you make for these all these loading times and, and all of these crowbar moments is the attention to detail and the design and the programming is absolutely extraordinary. I mean, there is animation and content and just bits programmed for you interacting with every other element in the game. And it is absolutely breathtaking. The way the game uses design to subliminally signpost you through the game is second to none. Like the way a bit of light will fall on a certain area, totally organically, that will just draw your attention towards it. And from there, you'll spot like an architectural detail that's just slightly out of place, drawing you over to that and so on. And the stealth sections of the game are really, really good. Very, very satisfying. But in terms of all of this naturalism and 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 and, and trying to sort of make it as realistic as possible, it does do that. And it essentially makes the game just a very realistic scavenging simulator and that's fun you know it's fun exploring these abandoned buildings finding stuff reading notes that have been left solving you know little puzzles to open safes and yeah it is an incredibly technically impressive simulator with the sort of attention to detail that people playing microsoft 
flight sim will go, oh, look, they've even got the wind flaps right on the exhaust of the <laughs> C-1100 bloody air wing. That famous plane. It is technically very, very impressive. But I think that there needs to be more consideration to why a game is made as a game. I am glad to have played it so that I can actually engage in these conversations. And I really want to have these conversations and I want people to front an argument against it so that I can kind of understand why the games industry is going more in this direction. And yeah, I might feel differently when these games start making it to next gen consoles and, and loading times fail to be a thing, which, you know, up and up until playing, you know, these last few games is not something I'd considered being, being an aspect of, of, of how a game's paced. I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what Naughty Dog develop next and what they develop specifically on, you know, a next generation console. But do I think it warranted being given Game of the Year at the Game Awards and other places? Um, no. Which leads us on nicely to our next discussion point, which is our gaming highlights of 2020. Minty, why don't we start with you? What has been your best gaming moments of 2020? What games have you enjoyed? Gaming highlights, we? Well, like I said earlier, I've completed two games this year, as in got to, got to the end credits. Well, actually, if 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 you if you if you take that as uh, as beating a game, um, I have beaten three because um, Animal Crossing was one of those three. The other two are Hyrule Warriors: Age of Calamity and Paper Mario: The Origami King. It's been quite mm. quite a fallow year uh, for me um, in terms of in terms of gaming, particularly in terms of games that have come out this year in twenty twenty. I did have a little look on, on, on Wikipedia to see what actually had come out this year because like, time means nothing anymore, as, as, <laughs> as, as, as we all know. Yeah. So I was like, well, yeah. I, I liked this game, but oh, no, it came out in 2019. Ah. Oh, I like that one too. Ah, no, that was that was 1994. <laughs> so these are the three that I have played this year, and they're all good. <laughs> they are all good. Yes, yes. I've enjoyed them all for different reasons. I don't think I am the sort of person that gets Animal Crossing, mm. I'm sorry to say. But for those first few months during the summer after it came out, Mrs. Minty was. So it was mm. It was nice just sort of waking up, um, doing the morning routine, and then cracking open the switch and just having a little potter around clog and seeing what she'd done with it. Because... She's got a good eye for design, being an artist, and it was always <laughs> nice just being like, oh, oh, there's some more flowers here. Oh, look at uh, how she has arranged these pots <laughs> and all that sort of thing. So even though I, you know, I, I'd, I'd got, I, I'd arranged for Keek Slider to come and play a show and got the credits, and that was that was fine. That was enough for me. Just seeing what somebody who actually has just a shred of creativity and imagination can <laughs> do with the game. That was very special to me, and it was really nice to see my wife, whom I love so dearly, engage in video games, a medium which I also love very much. Those two worlds coming together, that was that was a really nice uh, highlight of the year for me. We can't not talk about Age of Calamity. That's been a really, a really nice game to play. I don't know, I, I just find these games so satisfying. They're so meaty in terms of <laughs> like taking out 20 people with a single sword swing. It's just... Oh, yeah. It's... It's basically just wish fulfillment with a time limit, <laughs> to be honest. And am I upset about being drawn in hook, line, and sinker? No, absolutely not. It's been a, <laughs> it's been a real treat. It's been so it it, it captures uh, the essence of both Breath of the Wild and 
the first Hyrule Warriors game and create something so wonderful and so special that even though it doesn't quite have the longevity of the first Hyrule Warriors game and it doesn't quite have the uh, the sheer wonder of Breath of the Wild, it still manages to be something fantastic to play, really. I wasn't particularly um, taken by the ending and I, I had it in my head that it would have given us like a, a really solid running start into Breath of the Wild 2. Mm. I was absolutely convinced that the story would basically be just a cliffhanger. And then maybe in February, we'd get a Breath of the Wild 2 trailer. And it would be, you've played uh, Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity. Well, here's what happened next. Mm. But yeah, we haven't seen anything like that just yet. But yeah, I'm still holding out hope. And then I think my, I think my highlight of this year of all the new games that came out was Paper Mario, the Origami King. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Chris, how about you? Gaming highlights of this last year. Well, the year sucked, didn't it? For a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> I know you said at the beginning, Jonathan, you've had a wonderful personal year and, and I'm very happy for you. Yeah. But yeah. For a lot of people, it was not amazing, but it did mean, as, as I kind of alluded to uh, at the start of the episode, that I had a lot more time for games this year. And I think what I spent the most time doing really is I revisited a lot of older titles in 2020. So I played Panzer Dragoon Saga to completion for the first time. Oh, yeah. Like I said, when it came up on my list, this deserves a place in the top 20. I absolutely did it dirty by putting it as low as I did. <laughs> Easily my favorite RPG I think I've played on any platform, just a real stunner and was really nice to have a chance to play. Beating Mario 64 again in the 3D All-Stars collection was fantastic. Like, I won't go on about it oh, because yeah. it was the main topic of our conversation for, what, about eight weeks running? <laughs> um, <laughs> and also, you may notice it hasn't appeared on my list yet, so perhaps we'll get some more <laughs> Mario 64 soon. I beat or picked up for the first time uh, Balloon Kid on the Game Boy, if you remember oh, right yeah. back in about March time, maybe. Like, it's really small, but it's list-worthy. I think it's just a brilliant little platformer that did things differently enough to make me think obviously, you know, two decades after its release, that it's better than at least some of the games in my top 100. I, I think it would absolutely find a place. Even chugging through like B-tier titles, like The Simpsons Hit and Run yeah. was a real treat. Like I really, really loved because I like playing games with other people and I don't mean two-player games. I don't mean competitive games or conventional co-op games, but I played through all of Hit and Run with Georgia. Like we'd beat a few missions and then we'd swap the pad and then you know, the other person would beat a few missions. And it's weird the times in a relationship which make you kind of go, yeah, yeah. And just <laughs> just think like, no, this this is really good. This is this is lovely. And those evenings, like passing the chunky Xbox pad between each other was just so nice. And it came at this odd liminal part of the year that existed just after my mum had had open heart surgery, just before oh, sure. the world went into total lockdown. It seems odd that this strange licensed time game represented a high point of the year. Yeah. But for me, it really did because COVID was just a buzzword at that point. It, it hadn't yeah. taken hold yet. It would just appear on the news and then flutter away. Mum had just beaten death. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. it, was, it was a strange year and, and that was a strange time, but a really good game to fit in there. I played several Annapurna interactive games for the first time. Oh. And yeah. I think all of them absolutely cement them as just the best indie publisher out there. Yeah. So in very quick succession, I beat Gone Home for the first time. I beat Goragoa. I beat Donut County. I beat the final chapter of Kentucky Route Zero. 
Like these are all perfect games for what they set out to do. Yeah. And in the case of Kentucky Route Zero, and I'm not going to bore you again, <laughs> I think I think it's just one of the most medium defining games I've ever played. So yeah, Annapurna, stunning, stunning stuff. But in terms of new games, like actual new games that came out in 2020, I think the top for me were probably Streets Rage 4. Ah, uh, yes. Animal Crossing, Tony Hawk's 1 and 2. Yeah. Age of Calamity that Minty just mentioned and Mixalumia, the puzzle game I, I brought up with Minty a couple of weeks back. Ah, yeah. That's, that's the five like bona fide 2020 games that I played, beat or almost beat and, and really loved. So you had obviously Streets of Rage 4, I think is the best modern side-scrolling beat-em-up, just no questions. It feels as good to play as Streets of Rage 2, which for me, I've said on this list, is the gold standard. I don't have a single complaint about this game. Like Streets of Rage 4 was a wonderful return to the series. Tony Hawk's was, was a brilliant return to form as well for a series that's been dormant for as long as it has a game that feels incredible in the hands and just looks the fucking part. <laughs> like it really does <laughs> look good. Yeah, Age of Calamity, it's occasionally ropey. But it brings the the Hyrule Warriors format forwards and just deserves such incredible praise for being able to mix the worlds of Breath of the Wild and and the Dynasty Warriors Musu games just more seamlessly than I think anyone could have imagined. And Mixalumia, as I was saying to Minty the other week, I think is the best block dropping puzzle game I've played since Luminez. Just simple as that, really. It's, It's a game that is made very much in the image of Mitsuguchi's puzzle titles like Every Extend, Meteos and obviously Luminez, like I said. And it just gets music and it gets puzzling and it merges them together really, really perfectly. And then you've got Animal Crossing. It has to be my, my favourite experience of this year. All the way back in 2004, there was a journalist named Kieran Gillen who published a manifesto-style article called The New Games Journalism. And at the time, it proposed that writing about games in a purely objective sense was becoming a waste of time and that the value of games writing lay with the gamer or the author rather than the game itself. And... I've always been a big proponent of journalism being personal. Like I like long form writing that explores the experience one has with a piece of media. And talking about games specifically, Kieran Gillen suggested that people write travel journalism to imaginary places. And I've always been quite taken by that line. And I think Animal Crossing New Horizons is perhaps the best example for me of a game that cannot be discussed objectively. And when considering 2020, I don't think it can be discussed outside of its release context. Mm. Like we've said on the show quite a few times, this game came out smack bang in the middle of a global pandemic where about 75% of the world was in lockdown. And God, like when when you start New Horizons, KK Slider comes to greet you before you've really done anything in the game, just as you're getting started. His presence on screen in, in full HD was enough to get me a bit wet in the eyes. But when when he speaks to you, I, I was... I had actual tears. And he, and he says, take it from a cat who's been on the road. Being by your lonesome can really grind your soul. You've got to make friends along the way. Rambling this crazy world is Squaresville without some pals. Yeah, man, friends is where it's at. So good. And to hear that at a time where it's like, I can't see anyone. Yeah. Was, was unbelievable. <laughs> Just so prescient for that moment. And for that point, like when I first put that game in my Switch, I hadn't seen my friends or my work colleagues, or Georgia even, for about a month at that point. Yeah. Things would go on to get so much worse before they got better, like before they got even a tiny bit better. But Animal Crossing and my new life in that imaginary place was such a stabilizing influence that made every day feel at least a little bit different. Mm. And the walls of my room and the screen of my work laptop all stayed the same, but the slow evolution of my island just kept me sane. And Animal Crossing, it's just... 
was such a moment, like a cultural moment this year. Yeah. That when people whine about this idea of new games journalism, like most recently with the grubby as fuck Gamergate movement <laughs> and, and the kind of yeah. the light clockwork harassment of any writers who dare to set games through a socio-political lens. Mm. You, you can't review Animal Crossing objectively because on paper it's boring. <laughs> it's a boring yeah. game. So you decorate a house, you talk to a bird, you clean a beach. Like, who cares? <laughs> but the, the rhythms of that when played at this point, you know, in this place and in, in this point in time, it just made New Horizons take on this otherworldly charm. And when the ability to do anything else was so totally and completely curtailed, there was still life in Animal Crossing. And yeah, I, I can't give higher praise to something than mm. it being a, a piece of media that I think probably saved lives this year. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. A, an unbelievable achievement. Absolutely incredible. Uh, the note I've written about Animal Crossing is it's you can't talk about 2020 in general from any perspective let alone from a gaming one without talking about animal crossing yeah like yeah. it still baffles me how much of a perfectly timed release it was i mean it was exactly what the world needed at that time and i know i'm not alone in having plowed five six hundred hours into it <laughs> you know like you said i mean in terms of like what the game does it doesn't reinvent the wheel it barely tweaks it from the previous animal crossing in fact it also saw it strip a lot of features out from the previous iteration which have now you know trickled back into the game in iterative updates but what it does do is it refines its core formula and it creates the perfect foundation to keep building on and building on over the course of the last nine months and hopefully what they'll continue to do over the next year as well i think like one of the the great things about the game having this solid foundation is then the variety that the game allows because of it you know, there are so many things built into the game that allow you to play it exactly how you want. The game is very much what you make it, and the game allows you to make it in so many different ways. Like, if you want your island to be this landmark strewn idyll, you can do that. If you want to turn your house into, you know, your, the very perfect realisation of your innermost interior designed aspirations, you can do that. You know, if you want your attic to be a shrine to Easter, you can do that. Why not? You know, <laughs> and one of the best things it allowed us to do was throw a surprise birthday party for Chris. It oh, did. Oh, it did. We weren't oh, able to do that. that in person. Ah, oh, yeah, lovely. You know that that was amazing, and somehow we managed to fill a few hours with uh, yeah. games and activities and silly things. And I, I mean, yeah, what an what an extraordinary game. I mean, in in terms of other gaming highlights, the I had in 2020, uh, you know, a lot of games I played didn't come out in 2020, like Sea of Thieves yeah. and Worms Armageddon and Among Us, which dominated my online play with my Friday night gaming crew, which was, and I mean, certainly Sea of Thieves was an absolute revelation. It was extraordinary. And, and that gave me so many brilliant, brilliant memories and gaming moments. I also put proper time and effort into Super Mario Maker 2, which uh, wasn't a 2020 release. And I did put some hours into it when it did first come out. But, you know, this saw me spend a good 90 hours creating my super world, which both of you diligently played through. Loved it. And that was, that was fantastic. Games you guys have already talked about. Horror Warriors Age of Calamity. Absolutely brilliant. I'm still yet to, uh, to, to finish the main story, but it's just so much fun. Paper Mario was a really really good time i had such a fun time playing that super mario 3d all-stars as you know from from hearing me talk about it i attacked that with the ferocity of a zulu warrior and uh, <laughs> and and playing through mario 64 was 
was good. Uh, playing, replaying <laughs> through Super Mario Sunshine was the tits. I had such a wonderful time doing that. And I had a really great time playing Galaxy for the first time. Again, a game I can't wait to get back to at some point. Tony Hawk's 1 and 2, that was just a surprise hit. Like, my goodness me, I didn't I didn't see that coming. But it was, I mean, just amazing. Like, a, a fantastic trip down memory lane, but also the most incredibly modern uh, gaming experience in terms of its technical presentation. It was fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. One last game to, to sort of talk about is is Hades, which rightly topped a lot of uh, a lot of gaming lists of, of 2020, was rightly sort of nominated in, at the Game Awards. Absolutely amazing game. Brilliant roguelike. So much lore in there. So much gameplay depth. I, and again, it's a game I really hope it's a game I can get back to at some point. I'm sure from listening to us talk about our gaming highlights of the year, you can probably guess what our all-time game of the year has been. But we'll come on to confirming that right at the very end. But before we do that, let's spend a little bit of time just talking about what our gaming hopes for 2021 are. And I'm going to kick this off uh, with some games that I know are coming that I'm looking forward to on the Switch Super Mario 3D World coming in February. I'm very excited to finally play that. And, uh, and I mean, yeah, it's got some additional content in there. Sure, why not? But I, I cannot wait for that. Hollow Knight, Silk Song, very excited about that. More information about that is getting released quite steadily now. The fact that it's going to be a, a timed console exclusive for the Switch is, is, is that's a big deal. Like, that's really, really good. And um, yeah, so I'll be getting that day one. Can't wait. Also, there's the indie game Blue Fire, which got highlighted in a few of the sort of Nintendo indie directs. The sort of Zelda-like, beautiful-looking action game, which, uh, yeah, I'm very much looking forward to that. Big thing for me is I'm hoping to get a PS5 as soon as they become available again, which at time of recording should be later this week. Ooh. So I'm hopefully getting an order in for that, and then I'm going to play Demon Souls uh, at the first opportunity. And that's probably it that I'm, <laughs> I'm looking forward to playing <laughs> on PS5 at the moment, of stuff that, yeah, I'm, I'm not really that fussed about anything else. Uh, but there's some great games, great looking games coming from a, I mean, I, I'm really hoping that the Harry Potter game, Hogwarts Legacy, is going to deliver on, on on what we, you know, hope it will do, because that could be fantastic. Hood is another game that I'm looking forward to playing. It basically looks like Sea of Thieves mixed with Thief. Um, you know, my friend Steve Smith, we've already said that we're going to, we're definitely going to hook up and play some of that together online. And also Stray, which is, again, another indie game that's being published by Annapurna, where you play as a stray cat in a futuristic world run by robots. In terms of gaming hopes, things that I hope happen, there's definitely some games that I really hope get released next year. Elden Ring is the big one for me. The From Software game, which has been developed in collaboration with George R.R. Martin. I'd love to hear some news about that, and I'd love to see it get released next year. Breath of the Wild 2, sure, that'd be great. But like with all Nintendo games, I find myself these days just happy to wait and happy to, because I know that they'll get it right when it does come. And I don't mind waiting another year for Breath of the Wild 2 if it means it will be better. Same goes with Metroid Prime 4. I know that still <laughs> might be a pipe dream that we're going to see that. But, I, I, you know, we might get a big update on that in the summer. After having played God of War, I'm very, very here for God of War Ragnarok, which will hopefully come out later this year. 
I'd love a big new Animal Crossing update to add in like a whole bunch of new features. I, I imagine we'll probably get probably get that once we get to the the anniversary of its release in March. They'll say, yeah, okay, here we go. We're not just going to do the same thing again as we did last year. Here's like big things coming, like new new updates to the shops and new new features coming in and all, loads of stuff. What else? What else? Metro Prime Trilogy HD, Zelda 3D Trilogy HD. Obviously, we'd love that. We'd all love that. And I'd also love an announcement for the long rumored Switch Pro. Oh, please, which, um, yeah. There's, there's, yeah. I mean, there's all, there's always talk of that, and there always seems to be some fresh, fresh buzz about that. But that would be great. I'd love that because I think there's something very, very exciting there. Very exciting. Um, so exciting, in fact, that I wouldn't mind trading in my Animal Crossing Special Edition Switch for. <laughs> oh dear. How about you guys, Chris? What are you uh, hoping to see on your gaming uh, agenda? Uh, this year in 2021 i just want sony to give me an actual reason to pick up a playstation 5 <laughs> like yeah. I, I, I can't lie I've, I've grown less and less interested in AAA titles outside of those developed by nintendo yeah and like when you talked about last of us 2 today and and things like mm. that it's i really struggle to get the energy to want to play games like that yeah and I'm in a position now as well, like with the laptop I bought in the summer, I'll be able to play most cross-platform releases with performance that's pretty comparable to next-gen consoles. Yeah. So if I do want to play a shiny new Assassin's Creed, or if I want to play some annualized EA nonsense, it's right there. It's on It's on Steam. I can play it. Yeah. But Sony first-party stuff, I know seems largely to be considered better than Microsoft's first-party output. But even then, it depends what you're after. And and I think the the Sony stuff they they it now has this almost homogenized house style that we've talked about before, that yeah you know there's different developers working as first party studios, but whether you're playing Uncharted or Spider Man or Days Gone or God of War, there's obviously differences in these games I know, but none of them have grabbed me in their marketing for just so long now yeah like you you can change up the protagonist you can change up the setting. But nothing has got me in the same way as Mario cutting around New Donk City. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. that, that few seconds is still, to me, more exciting than anything Sony can do with, you know, Ellie shooting a dog in the face. <laughs> it, it seems really crazy to me that at the moment, the main reason I want a PS5 is to play my PS4 library with a few added bells and whistles. Yeah. Like, slightly better performance, slightly better resolution. But... Obviously, it's really hard for that to be the reason that you're dropping four or five hundred quid. Yeah, like I, I said when the when the console first came out, I would wait until my birthday in April to to pick up a, a PS5. But even then, four months down the line from now, I don't know what the game is that's going to make me slap my thigh and go, "Oh bloody hell, got to get that order in." <laughs> yeah, like I, I want to see a trailer for a game that just blows me away. And the last thing to do that was Tetris Effect. The last trailer yeah. I saw that. If I didn't already have a PS4 and a PlayStation VR, that two-minute trailer, I would have bought the whole lot that night. I just would have pre-ordered all of it in one go. Yeah. Just wham, bam, thank you, man. That's the one I want to play. And nothing on the PS5 has done that for me so far. Unbelievably, the closest they've come is probably the the pack-in title, Astro's Playroom. Yeah. But again, I think that's that's a lot more to do with how much I enjoyed Astro Bot Rescue on PSVR. Yeah. Which... I've yet to finish. So again, <laughs> go and play that. Chris, you've yeah. got 9,000 games. Play one of those. <laughs> I'm concerned at the moment that the games I enjoy most are not going to benefit from the added grunt of the, the PlayStation or the new Xbox. And for the last couple of years, I've bought almost exclusively for the Switch. Like multi-platform games may look and run slightly worse on the hybrid machine, but it always gets my pick because it's the device I enjoy using the most. Yeah. 
So like you said, the, the thing I really want is a Switch Pro that just everything's a little bit better. Yeah. And, and that would be great. That's the thing that Sony needs to sell me on. Like, why is the PlayStation 5 the place that I'll want to pick games up? Like, why is their weird pad with their adaptive triggers and everything better than just my Switch Pro controller? Yeah. What is the difference between me buying a weird indie title on a PS5 rather than my Switch or rather than the PS4? Because everything is just multi-generational at the moment. Mm. And the, the big generational difference just isn't there anymore either. So the step up from my crumbling 360, for instance, back in the day to when I got my, my PS4 was massive because the yeah. 360 had lumbered on for so much longer than it needed to. Like that generation really was lengthy. And and as the, you know, Sony and Microsoft dicked about before they released their <laughs> their follow-ups to the PS3 and the, and the Xbox 360, the eventual difference was night and day. And not because the games themselves looked that much better, but they were just much smoother. So I, I remember playing Watch Dogs, which is painfully average, but yeah. on, on the PS4. <laughs> and and I thought very little of it, but it was so smooth. And that was what really sold me on that experience. But nowadays, like you mentioned when we chatted the other day, God of War on the PS4 looks incredible. So yeah. if you want something that looks nice, there you go. There's a game that looks nice. Yeah. And and I can't imagine there's going to be any trailers for the PS5 that make me go, cool, that looks extra nice at the moment. Yeah. It's going to make me want to pick one up. I'm just going to end up shrugging. So I'm in a position now for 2021 where I'm saying, Sony, can you please do something to let me give you my money? Yeah. <laughs> like show me something weird. Show me something that's really different. Show me something that will make me move on from the 8 million unplayed titles I already have on the shelf. Just do something that makes me go, cool, that's special. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I just, I want something different. I want something tangibly different that makes me go, that's the console I need. How about you, Minty? What are you hoping for? I'd like to preface this final segment with a shout out to local retro gaming repository, the Arcade Vaults in Cardiff, who put something on Facebook uh, detailing just how many gaming anniversaries there are in 2021. Let's just go through the list that I have. We'll start off with the ones I don't really care about. Skyrim is 10 years old this year. Devil May Cry, 20 years old. Sonic is 30 years old. Halo is 20 years old. Kid Icarus, 35 years old. Mm. Donkey Kong is 40 years old. Those are all the ones that I bothered to jot down, but have subsequently (laughs) crossed out because I don't really care about them that much. Sorry, folks. So let's move on to the ones that I do care about. And because they are pretty much all Nintendo, this is just going to be a very early laundry list of disappointments, (laughs) sadly. (laughs) Pokemon is 25 years old, so obviously we want the Diamond and Pearl remakes, but... I think I want Let's Go Johto yeah. more than uh, more than Diamond and Pearl. Diamond and Pearl were they weren't great. Zelda <laughs> is thirty five years old this year, which is the one that's gained the most traction online. We'll either get the three D Zelda trilogy or hopefully Breath of the Wild two. I, I think both are, are possible. Fuck it, why not? Yeah, both. <laughs> we all live through twenty twenty. Let's stick Zelda and Zelda two on a game of watch. Oh yeah. Oh, that will definitely come. Mm, Metroid thirty five years old this year. <laughs> I've got such low expectations <laughs> for 2021, so let's just hope that the we get the news that Metroid Prime 4 hasn't been cancelled. That's all I want. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Dragon Quest is 25 years old this year, so hopefully we'll get more of the older games uh, stuck on the eShop. 
I'd like that very much. That'd be nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The N64 is 25 years old and the GameCube is 20. So maybe we can get those on Switch Online so that um, <laughs> we can actually have the 35 quid a year for P2P online gaming actually justified with a, a get an online game library that's actually got decent games on it mm. as opposed to just um, <laughs> NES games, which, let's be honest, have not aged well. Okay, outside of the anniversary things, the only thing that I really want is Bravely Default 2, which which you know is coming out in, I think, March. But that's that's the one I'm super excited for this year. Awesome. So to round this episode off, let us declare our official games of the year. I don't know what you guys are going to pick, but I'm hoping that we might at least get two of the same, which we can then maybe say is the Our Three Cents official game of the year. But we shall find out. Now, I haven't played a lot of the big flag releases from 2020, not the big AAA titles that, you know, were nominated for Game of the Year at the Game Awards. Stuff like, I don't know, Call of Duty, Assassin's Creed, Valhalla, Ghost of Tsushima, Final Fantasy VII Remake, not even Half-Life Alex, which I'm still desperate to play. Played about half an hour of Doom Eternal, which was very, very good, but I, I you know, I've not, not played enough to really keep it in consideration. I mean, for me, it's 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 Animal Crossing. I mean, I don't see how I can't get yeah. it to anything other than the game I've lovingly poured six hundred hours into. <laughs> uh, yeah, it has to be get game of the year twenty twenty Animal Crossing New Horizons. Chris, yeah, same for me. Uh, and like I said, even though I I sort of tailed off in in playing as the year rolled on, it was too important for the period I was playing it not to have that as the the main game of my year. It, it did things that no other game could have for that time. Uh, and mm. I'm I'm massively grateful to to it and to Nintendo for for that. That you know, at a time when a lot of people really needed something like Animal Crossing. Yeah, absolutely. And Minty. Well, I'm sorry to say that the vote is not unanimous because uh... <laughs> 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 two out of three ain't bad. Yeah, I mean majority vote. But my game of the year had good writing, good characters, a fresh new battle system, papercraft kaiju. Bosses that you could easily find anywhere upon your desk. <laughs> and the gentle confirmation that the upward trajectory of the Paper Mario series hasn't been a fluke following the uh, the absolute shit circus that is Sticker Star. <laughs> it's Paper Mario, the Origami King. So there we have it. That is the end of our absolute big bumper special 2020 roundup episode. If you've enjoyed this episode, or if indeed you've enjoyed any of our episodes, please do get in touch with us. You can find us on our social media channels, facebook.com slash our3cents, Instagram at O3C Podcast, YouTube, search for our3cents, or you can reach out to us on our Twitter handles individually. I'm at Jonathan Dunn. I am at Chaz underscore Hodges. And I'm Clement underscore Boo. And if you're really enjoying what we're doing and want to get a bit more out of us, then you can head over to patreon.com slash our3cents and have a look at some of the perks you can get there. And we're very excited to jump straight into our top 10 favourite video games of all time, the home stretch. And we are taking a bit of a different stance uh, to what we have done. And we're going to be taking an episode each for our entries. So next week we are kicking off our number 10s with Chris's 10th favourite video game of all time. So please do tune in for that and we shall see you then. Oh. Sponsor. And now a word from our sponsor. And now a word from our sponsor.
Hey folks, it's Asif Khan, CEO and Editor-in-Chief over at ShackNews.com. Give a listen to our 9 to 5 Elon podcast about Tesla and electric vehicles and all sorts of cool stuff over there on the Greenlit Podcast Network.